This is the Top Agents Playbook Podcast, episode 103. Fifty-one then. Do it the hard way. <laughs> he took the bit. <laughs> Premium fifty-one. Two and a half. There's something indescribably wonderful that happens when bidding at auction goes past the reserve. There's an intensity. Three million fifty-three and a half. Come on. Here we go. French on the phone. French on the phone. The air thickens. Three million and fifty-three and a half. Fifty-four and a half. Pulses quicken. Emotion challenges reason. Let's round it up. 60? 55. Thank you. Make it 55. And 6. Limits are forgotten. I'll give you 2, David. 58. 59. And 60 if you like. 3 million 60. And 1. As the two most powerful forces in nature, the chance of gain and fear of loss, you beauty, collide with the clock and duel with the auctioneer's gavel. Thank you. Oh, look at Frankie's back on the phone. 3,062. 64 bid. I'm Ray Wood. Welcome back to the show. And today, I'd like you to meet my favourite auctioneer. You can have it. Frankie, you sure? Outs. Even if Frank's out, it means that he has three million and sixty to spend somewhere else. Yeah, that's so. We know that there is another keen bidder. First call now, three million and sixty-seven. We're selling. Second call now at three million and sixty-seven. Is anyone waiting to bid? At three million and sixty-seven bid. Is there no mistake? Forty-six A Regent Street. It's going. Yeah. It's going. Yeah. Here we go. It's sold. But just before we do, I want to take a look at the forces that lie behind buyer motivation. For an auction to work, three things need to happen. First, multiple buyers need to notice the property. Second, multiple buyers need to view the property. And finally, stage three, and what I like to call dueling banjos. And this is where the magic happens. There's nothing complex here. It's almost primal. If it's good enough for one bidder, it's good enough for another. And so the duel begins. And when bidding sales past reserve, our bidders are playing for keeps and any good auctioneer becomes a heavyweight prize fight referee with a ringside seat to watch the contenders slug it out.
If all goes according to plan, you've got yourself a hoedown. One of the best marketing weapons of my real estate career and my unique selling proposition was showing my selling clients how they could produce a better result. And my forte is presentation. What's going to help me achieve those three key success objectives, getting buyers to notice, getting buyers to see inside, and then getting them to turn up and bid. How does the property look? How do I want it to look? What are the hot buttons I need to set up to attract buyers and multiple bidders? How do I trigger those powerful emotional forces that take a driven buyer beyond the limit they set for themselves in the car on the way to the auction? After all, isn't that what I'm there for? This year, Channel 9's top rating series, The Block, captured the attention of a nation dedicated to all things real estate. Each contestant was on a budget, but Josh and Elise had a better eye for where to spend theirs. Their attention to detail and eye for design, colours, fittings and textures gave them a powerful edge. But they also needed someone to bring it all together on the day. Someone who could carefully harness the collective emotions of five seriously interested bidders, then harvest the prize of a winning bid as far above the reserve as he could possibly achieve. The only way you win the block is when you achieve the highest price between reserve and winning bid. And this is the money you get to keep, together with a $100,000 bonus for pulling it off. And let's keep in mind, if you're a contestant on the block, you can invite any auctioneer in the country to represent you. For his seventh time on the block and his second victory, my brother David remained calm, cool and confident in the chaos of TV cameras, a thronging crowd and bidders wound as tight as a drum, all ready to fight for the prize. He pulled it off without a hitch and while I'm a little biased, he's still my favourite auctioneer. My first question to David was, what made his contestants' home more popular than the other four? I think there were a few things that contributed to the overwhelming majority of the buying public choosing their home as a standout. Um, the presentation that they did was hands down better than most of the other houses that were there. So they expended money in areas like solid timber flooring where the others had floating floors. Um, they... The Flo winning floating rooms, floors uh, for those that don't know uh, are, are fake floors. So. Well, they're engine they're engine engineered oak floors, and they look really they look really good, um, but it's not quite like the real thing. They're, they are fantastic floor surfaces, um, but there's nothing beats a solid timber floor. And the the areas that their, their winning rooms were contained around not contained, but 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 included the kitchen area the living dining area, the outdoor area, and the master bedroom. So if you put all those rooms together, there's sort of 90% of your living in a house. Uh, and they were, they were standout rooms, and I think that that was, that was popular. So it probably gives sellers a note to say, okay, well, if we're going to invest money into renovating a house prior to selling, what areas should we do? Yeah. 
Yeah. What about uh, what about wall colours? And I'll include I'll include the video that uh, in in the show notes for this episode, obviously, so people can check it out because you get a little bit of a glimpse of of the properties and stuff. But talk to me about wall colours and and the overall tones uh, internally. Are you are you in the birdcage at the moment? Are you, still at, are you still at the Melbourne Cup? I'm still out at Flemington. Uh, I thought the races were this weekend, but there's no one here. The roses don't look as good, but the birds are still here. I bet you could get a good park. So it's a, <laughs> so it's a beautiful Melbourne morning. We've had a run of uh, about five days of over 30 degrees here for spring, which is uh, unprecedented. So it's it's lovely and warm. So I'm just taking the opportunity to sit outside. You've got to love global warming, haven't you? I wish we could have. <laughs> I wish, I wish we could have a little bit here in Canada. I think um, yeah. I could buy a block of land, and in ten years, I'd be growing uh, growing grapes on it. Yeah, you could. Yep. Sorry, I interrupted myself. The uh, the wall colours. Wall colours. Um, rather neutral. Uh, now. The outside of the home, if you anyone's Googling and wants to check it out, the address was 46A for Apple, Regent Street, R-E-G-E-N-T, Regent Street in Elstonwick in Melbourne. Uh, you'll see a facade of the house, and they used a colour there called, that you'll really like, Great, right? called linseed. It's half-strength linseed, so I'm giving away uh, Josh's secrets here, but that's, that's, what, it, what, that's what it was. Right. Inside is What the, colour is uh, linseed? Well, um, it's a it's a really light grey. Okay. Okay. For one of a better for it's it, yeah it's okay. a really light grey. So and they actually use the same colour for their own home in uh, in Coburg that we just sold as well. So uh, a very very popular a really nice on trend colour that people a lot of people are trying to use today. Is that a dulux? In, is that a dulux colour? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, thank you. All right. Yeah, um, and inside the name escapes me, but um, the upgrade of the chalk USA that we used to use all the time. Yes. Um, so it's a it's a it's a, it's an off white strength um, and beautifully done, contrasting with trimmings. Um, I don't know the name of it, so I'm sorry about that. Okay, okay, yeah, it's like an antique white or an off white or a chalk. Or something. Yep, 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 beautiful. Okay, um, and they use that throughout, and it it really, um, I, I guess it 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 has a uh, a wall colour should be one that's warm and inviting but not making such a statement unless you're in the business and you uh, really do want to make a statement and hope that the majority of the people like it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did notice from photos and presentation and and obviously um, uh, are the contestants advised as to how they should be setting up a property or is it kind of all their own determination? Do they make their own decisions as to how they how they decorate and stuff? They can seek advice, but I don't think that they're allowed to. I'm quite sure they're not allowed to have an interior designer working beside them. So a lot of them will go straight to Pinterest um, yeah. and spend a lot of time looking at looking at that and then try to find um, areas of influence that they can use there to, to, to incorporate into their homes. But no, they don't have an interior person standing beside them. Okay. Okay. When you and I were researching this, <clears throat> you sent me an email and, and – uh... I gave you that question, why did Josh and Lisa's house on the block stand out from the others? And and your number one answer was presentation. They left nothing to chance. You said flowers, cleaning, styling, music, scented candles. The open fire was going, the pool was clean, it was uncluttered, and the big rear doors were open. That's 
that's, yeah. that's going to have quite a bit of impact when when somebody walks into that. I guess notwithstanding notwithstanding some lovely weather, but I guess people see themselves in the picture, don't they? Yeah, they certainly do, and especially with a show like that, in that we don't have control as to who's going in and out of the home at any one time. So the lucky or the good thing for these guys is that they are Melbourne people and they were able to be close by to ensure that the house was always presented in, a, in, in the condition that it should be with all those things attended to. So that was, that was great. But as an agent, it's, it's a lot of work it's, as opposed to having two open or three open times per week where you can get there, get it set up, close it down um, and do that for three 30-minute periods a week. This was uh, every day. Um, we didn't. We didn't know who were going. Who was going through? Advocates were having nights where they'd meet with twenty or thirty clients and walk them through the five houses, so that the buyer could be amongst those. And if you come into one house and it's all closed down, the lights aren't on, um, the fire's not going, the, all the, the the doors are shut at the back, and there's remnants of last night's party there, then buyers just they, they just see that and feel that and and get turned off. Yeah. Yeah, if if there's a successful formula for auction, you'd you'd have to say first and foremost, you got to have something that's super inviting to sell. And and the enemy, as we say, the enemy when when you're selling a, a, is any other property for sale in the same area in a similar price range. So, um, so I guess it goes without saying that presentation is 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 superb and and it looks like they they ticked every box there. If we're talking about the auction formula. Pricing's got to be a big part of it as well, because regardless of how it looks, every buyer is still going to shop on price. I mean, why spending time looking at something that's totally out of my price range? So talk to me mm. about that. More and more so today, um, because a lot of buyers will put into the um, search engine their criteria around accommodation, location, and um, pricing. So we need we need three bedrooms. We've, we can spend up to X and we want it to be in, 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 in this location. So if you're not doing – so the first thing is to get on that shopping list. So if your house is priced in a manner that is not being seen by the real buyers, then it's invisible to the um, applicable market for your home. Yep, Yeah. One of the one of the hardest things that I know agents uh, uh, deal with on a daily basis with an auction client is helping them understand that competitive pricing is an essential part of the solution. So many times, and and I'll just cl- create a class- classic example um, uh, of, of a property that I learned about recently. Won't say where it is, but the owner was the owner was hoping for a million. Uh, a million would have been a record in the street. The value is probably closer to nine hundred or or early nine hundreds. Um, so the, the auction quote should have been somewhere around the nine. I would have thought. I mean, auctions increase, don't they? Don't decrease. But the the agent was instructed to quote the property at a million, which which uh, they and they basically stood there on auction day by themselves and wondered why it failed. Mm. Yeah. In, in relation to in relation to Josh and Elise's house. I think you had to change your auction quote there. Can you walk us through, I don't know whether you can uh, publicly say this, but can you walk <clears> us through what actually happened? Yeah, for sure. Um, so in Victoria, we, we, we are governed now by legislation that requires every agent to include a statement of information on their, on their advertising. And that statement of information needs to have either the vendor's asking price or 
the agent's indication of price. And where you have an indication of price, that can be a range, a 10% range from bottom to top, <clears throat> excuse me. It needs to be supported by comparable sales that are in the uh, immediate location of that home, properties that the agent deems that, that are comparable. So that if an agent goes out and quotes a house at 500,000 plus or 500 to 550 and its real value is closer to 700, then they'll be hauled over the coals because the consumer affairs people could say, well, where did you, how did you arrive at this quote? Give me some examples. And if you say, well, it sounded like a good idea at the time, and they say, well, you didn't include these sales of A, B, C, and D, then we're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So we're in a transition period here whereby the buying public are being educated to look at the quotes that the agents are using and in the main have an understanding that at the higher, the middle to higher end of that quoted price range should be the area that they can expect it to be under competition at auction. Right. We have a situation often where, where buyers look at the top end of your range, they'll, they'll add on 10 to 20% because of their previous experience of going to an auction. So something's quoted uh, 750 to 800,000, they'll look at the top and say, well, that 800 means sort of 880 to 950 based on my um, previous experience of attending an auction. Yeah. And if, if by doing that, they keep themselves away from the auction, and if by doing that, they go beyond the price that they can spend, they simply cross it off their shopping list. So you can get to a stage where you get to an auction and there's no buyers there because they've all looked at the top part of your range and then added an amount on. So it's really a matter of educating buyers. But So back to your question when we started with um, Josh and Elisa's home, the Sales indicated somewhere around 2.4 to 2.64 million. There were other sales that were around 2.5 million that gave us confidence to say that our quoted price should be 2.4 to 2.64. Now, the block brings fabulous properties to the market and it was universally very well received. And it seemed it became apparent about halfway through the campaign, and these campaigns have a way of really closing down hard at the end of them. About 10 days prior to the auction, we felt that the buyer interest we had was no longer in that 2.4 to 2.64 range. We felt confident that we were above 2.640. We felt confident that we were better than 2.7 and heading towards 3 million. And that was just on discussions with advocates that we could have a, a, a reasonable discussion with and, and other members of the buying public. So we increased our price to 2.7 to 2.970 million. There were four other houses that were in the block and they, they chose not to because they felt that they didn't have the confidence to be able to do that. But in when we did it, we ensured that we spoke to every buyer to tell them what was going to happen for a start. Yep. So if you increase your, your, your quote along the way and you let the buyers see it online and make their own discuss, you know, make their own opinion as to what that means – then that's when you can have a recipe for disaster that they've looked at it, seen you've increased the quote, put a price above that again, and then kept themselves away. So we went to all the buyers and said, here's what's going to happen. You, you will see a, a change in the quoted price. We now feel confident between 27, <coughs> excuse me, and 297 is the area that we think it should be. Okay. Okay. Uh, did that cost you any, any bidders, do you think? Well, it, 
it, it probably did, it probably cost us people that were not in that price range. Okay, okay, and um, you got to finish this story and give us the happy ending. Sorry, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay, so we had um, four people bidding on the day. Um, it went on to the market. Our reserve on the day that we were given was two million six hundred and twenty so you've got a reserve below the bottom end of your range yeah, yeah. um and it sold for uh three million and sixty seven thousand yeah okay okay what a great result yeah what an awesome result. it was a terrific result yeah and, and i was stoked there were am i correct in saying there were five properties in this season of the block and in elstonwick in uh correct in regent street and yeah your auction was first? Yep. So we, we had a meeting with the other agents and we're also in, in touch with the producers around the auction order. Ultimately, it's the contestants that will endeavour to, to choose it, but we're advising our contestants along the way. So the advantages of going – people will say, hey, you guys were lucky you went first. Well, the the way that we looked at it was we'd like everyone in the – series to make as much money as they can yeah. um, and let the winner be the winner because in the in the TV program, whoever sells for the highest amount above their reserve gets an extra 100000 So okay. the show starts off really as a competition to win 100000 yeah. but, of course, the, the contestants are allowed to keep the money that they make in excess of the reserve price. So the knock-on effect of a good auction at, at, at the start can result in everyone trading off that or, or using that result to benefit their auction, yeah. which is which is great. The knock-on effect of a bad auction at the start or one of the less desirable, least desirable properties going first can have a situation where buyers who are waiting for their preferred one might say, well, hang on, they've just set this precedent, you know, three doors away. Um, I was going to be bidding at X, but now I'm starting to wonder whether or not it's actually worth it. Yeah. And um, based on that that previous sale, so a bad auction to start can have a really negative knock on effect throughout the show as well. Okay, so in other words, mm. yeah, you you uh, you set the bar with, or uh, well, I guess the production company and their instructions. Who I'm I'm assuming they instructed you. Um, they decided this one would go first because they felt it had the best chance of achieving the highest price. Correct. Okay. Okay. Uh, just out of interest, you had four bidders. Did any of the other bidders buy any of the other properties? Do you know? Um, they were all through. At the pointy end, they were dealing through advocates, and advocates can okay. have multiple clients. So I'm not exactly sure. I know that the people who were the underbidder of our house were also bidding on the second house that came up. So we were house five, and then the second auction was house number one. I know that the people who were bidding on ours were bidding on number one as well, but they weren't successful there either. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, were you able to measure, regardless of, of people coming through, and I want to talk about the number of people that you had through on auction day, but um, were you able to measure on the various domains at REA and, and domain um, how many visits you were getting almost on a on a daily basis? Could you see the number of unique visits to the uh, to the to the uh, the listing online? Yeah, yeah, right. absolutely. I mean, I can send you the stats later, and you might be able to put it on your uh, on your page because the oh, the visits to. that. Well, I think 
I think that that house and then and then a couple of weeks ago we auctioned the house for Josh and Elise, their own personal property in Coburg. Yep. I think both of them were the most visited homes in Australia on realestate.com. Crikey. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. And, yeah, and, get, ha- and how get, many uh, – yeah, if you could send me that, that would be great. Um, how many online – as far as as far as far the, the block home goes in Elstonwick, how many – do you know how many vi- uh, online visits there were altogether, roughly? I I don't, mate. I can I can check it out and get back to you on it, yeah. but I don't, I don't know exactly. No worries. So you've gone from – You've gone from this auction to marketing Josh and Elisa's own personal property in in another suburb, a little bit towards the west in Coburg. And um, was that a bit bizarre going from going from this campaign to the, they'd obviously hired you to start their auction campaign before the block auction? Am I right? Because it was only like yeah, it was only like two weeks later or the following week, wasn't it? Yeah, we launched their house online about about a week before the block auction took place. Right. So it's it's certainly it was the other side of town, so it certainly wasn't going to um, compete with it, and it was about half the price of it. So, okay. um, but yeah, we we did that, and they were they were fortunate in the they were able to um, I guess trade off their publicity so it created a lot of interest in the home but we then had the we then had the job again of really digging deep to find the real buyers for them yeah yeah and the people the people that actually purchased their home um in the initial two viewings of the property they had no idea who the vendors were and which was great we we didn't include it in advertising and it's not it wasn't about them it was about their home okay similar decor Mm. similar style similar feel Funky, yeah, 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 it was. It was. Yeah. Um, people can Google it. It was two. It was two Lascelles Street, which is L A S C E double L E S Lascelles Street in Coburg, number two. Um, yeah. And you look at it, and it's another Californian bungalow, uh, same paint color on the outside, and it was. It was like deja vu all over again. It's a formula, clearly. It's a formula. It's a formula yep. that works. Um, yep, and and same thing, Ray. They had they the presentation, solid timber floorings, beautiful open fire. Uh, People loved the home and they loved the styling of it. So we got pricing, presentation, and promoted it very well. So that worked. Yeah, yeah, amazing. The other sales back to Elstonwick and the block, the, the five properties. Yeah. The 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 other sale prices, and I don't know. I should have researched this, I guess. But um, were they dramatically less than than uh, than this sale at forty six A? Yeah, they were. Um, the the second runner up was just a shade over three million. Um, the third runner up was uh, approximately two million seven hundred and eighty one. Right, I think from memory. So they were probably about two hundred and other than one of the, the. So house number one was a shade over three million. So they made circa. Four hundred thousand. The three houses in the middle had lower reserves. Their reserves were two five twenty, right? Two million five hundred and twenty, and they want the lowest one. I think sold for a, just a, a little bit over two six, just a little bit over two six. So the lowest contestant took home about ninety five thousand, and the winners took home about four hundred and thirty five plus the hundred odd thousand for the winning. So. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's quite a lot, quite a big difference for the house next door, and and like structurally, etc., and accommodation, and 
um, all, all fairly similar? Yeah, they were similar blocks of land. They were very similar in their, in their accommodation. Um, a couple of them changed the living room layout with nib walls and the like that the market universally didn't like. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So and when you don't, don't like it and you've got an option to go next door and I like that one better, well, and it's also it was a weekend where there were about 1,700 options in Melbourne on that day, so it's not just these five houses. You're competing with the rest of the market. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And um, Josh and Elise's sale, their, their own property, um, I think you told me there was some phenomenal number of people through on auction day. I think you said it was the, yeah. most, the most visited, but what are we talking, a couple of hundred people? No, uh, there were probably closer to 500 people there on the day. <laughs> 500? Wow. We thought we'd, get a, we thought we'd, have, a, we thought we'd have a reasonable turnout, but um, it was just – it was incredible. They were lined up outside down the street and we had 30 minutes to uh, move them through and most people were really really good they got in had a look and that you know people love to look at their style um and her style and and people just love to look at that look at it and um they came from all over and (laughs) to the stage where like in the 30 minutes prior to the auction what agents we're normally doing as you know is trying to see whether our buyers are turning up yeah so we were in crowd control mode for the first 25 minutes and I've got to 25 to, or five minutes before the auction. I thought, I can't, can't recognise any of the buyers. I think, I don't know what's going on here, but they were there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, uh, when there's so much going on, it's hard to tell. Um, move towards wrapping up because I know it's early morning there. You've got a big day. I'll let you go. But um, I, I, I'm interested, I guess, just uh, people often ask me why auctions are so successful in Melbourne. Uh, and and Victoria and and we've been auctioning auctioning property in the south in, in Australia for probably more than anywhere else. It seems to seem to have started there. Real estate auctions, in any case, um, mm. um, why do you think that is? Is it is it the transparency of the process? Is it that is it that both buyers and sellers are comfortable with the process? What's the what's the rationale behind the success of auctions in in the state of Victoria? Yeah. I guess it's the acceptable form of purchasing. Um, you know, we'll often I'll often talk to people that will come from other parts of the world, uh, and they'll start by saying, "Oh, I, I'm not comfortable buying at an auction. I don't want to don't want to participate with that because I have the opinion that um, I might be paying too much, um, and they they're not used to it." But it quickly comes down to to say, well, if if you want a if you want to purchase a good home, then that's the way that you're going to have to do it. So if you're not comfortable, you better get an advocate who is comfortable, um, and take the um, take the auction out of your mind for a moment and focus on the house that you want to buy, and then employ a professional to go about buying that home. And he'll probably have to line up and compete at auction. Yeah, but, if- but it, it is very acceptable. Yeah, of course it is, and 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 the transparency is is unique, I guess. Unique is probably the wrong word, but the transparency is is obvious. And if you're standing there and you're interested in buying, and the auctioneer said, "Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're on the market. And we're going to sell if there's no further bid," and the guy beside you bids, it's like it's a sure sign that that it's worth it because if somebody else is prepared to pay the money and you can afford it, then all you need to do is put up your hand. It does have that effect, yeah. and I and I, and I guess it's social proof as well that um, 
if they feel that the, the the home is within the marketable range and they don't feel they're paying too much just because someone else is there bidding, it's I, I get that. But on the other side of the coin, if a home is not priced, and I often say that you know you can't fool the market. Um, you can't go out and price a home at an inflated level and think you're going to get away with it because you then get to an auction and there's no buyers there. Yeah. And that's a pretty a pretty disappointing thing for a vendor when they when they turn up and you know it happens in Melbourne probably 25% of, of of auctions don't have a buyer there. So when you drill down into that 25% and say okay, what why why has this happened? Of that 25%, you probably half of them would not have had a buyer in the room or a buyer at the house. Yeah. And the other half would potentially have had somebody there but the price wasn't where the vendor would like it to be. So therefore, it passes in. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that can be, yeah. And that's that's just as an auction can be a great highlight as well for a vendor, and, and it can also be a flop, and um, it needs to be addressed along the way as to how it's travelling and and making changing things along the way to ensure that you have got the whole buying public there. And if that's pricing or presentation or the promotion's not right, then those things need to be addressed. Yeah, I think I totally agree, and, and I think one thing that um, that many many sellers fail to grasp is that the actual quote does not specifically determine the result. So, like, you can't simply quote a property that's worth eight hundred at a million um, and get a million dollars. Likewise, you, if you quote it at six hundred, um, who knows where it's going to end up? Um, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, uh, you know, notwithstanding the rules and regulations as to where a quote needs to be, but there seems to be this misconception. Would you say, let, let me ask you a final question, would, would you say that it's the agent's responsibility to produce the best possible offer on the day, on the best terms and conditions? Absolutely. And that's, you know, and then we go back to the block and um, agents can get caught up in all the hype and, and, and media that surrounds it, but the producers make it very, very clear that it's your job as an agent to have buyers in the room for that house at the best possible price that you can. Yep. And they don't tell us where to quote it. We, we, we have to submit it to them and say, here's, here's what we think and, and why. But absolutely, Ray, it's, it's, it's the agent's responsibility to maximise the vendor's price and everything along the way that they do to do that needs to be, needs to be done. And I'll, I'll often say to sellers, and we are guided by legislation, but as you know, there's no recommended retail price on property. You can't just say, well, um, every house in the street is the same, therefore we know exactly what they're worth because we don't no. and we've got to take it to a real live market. But yeah. you know, if we use a range, and a range seems to be a very acceptable area of pricing in Melbourne, normally a 10% range, and I say to sellers, at the top part of that range needs to be a figure where you can say, look, we can live with this price. Um, it's, not our, it's not our dream price. It's not our French champagne price. It's not our business class around the world price. We can live with it. And if push comes to shove on the day after five weeks, if that's all you can get, and that price should be supported by the agent, supported by comparable sales, and be reasonable in a, in a market with buyers. So I believe we should cater for a good result or cater for you know, cater for the worst hope for the best, but cater for a good result that says, okay, we got a sale, yeah, um, and then let let a let a great result take care of itself. Yeah, 
Yeah, because does uh, that make sense? It does. It does because in in many cases people auction because they've already bought a property and while their hopes and dreams might be for a certain price, at the end of the day they need a contract because they've probably signed an unconditional contract to buy another property. So, sure. In other words, they need the money. Yeah, and in the agent selection process, this is where the, you know the system is fundamentally flawed. Vendors choose three agents on the pre- pretense that they'd like to get a price on their home. The majority have probably got a reasonable idea. And unfortunately, what can happen in the agent selection process, it becomes a race to the top by the agents to who wants to tell them the most, yeah. a race to the bottom as to who wants to charge them the least. So you therefore, uh, some vendors can choose the worst agent that told them the most, charge them the least, and have a not such a good result where an agent should have should be strong and, and, and in the selection process, um, if, they're, if they're fortunate enough to be selected on their merits and what they bring to the table and their skills and their experience, then to sit down with the vendors and say, we need to have this discussion up front because, yeah. you know, you may have been led up the garden path, you may have expectations, but let's start in a manner that is going to ensure that you see market value on the day and hopefully better. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I think that's great mm. advice. You've had, um, I guess, in boxing parlance, as far as the block's concerned, you, there's been uh, there's been seven bouts that you've can you've uh, you've contested. Uh, you've had yeah. you've had two knockouts. Are you going to put the gloves on again for next season? Yeah, I think so. We'd we'd really like to be involved. Uh, it's a beautiful building. It's the Gatwick Hotel on Fitzroy Street wow. in St Kilda. So it's a it's an awesome location. It's about 500 metres from the beach, and it's got parklands just all around it, and the wonderful cosmopolitan Fitzroy Street. Um, and it's it's right in our wheelhouse. It's uh, just near Albert Park, so it's our, our our part of the world from our office. So we'd love to we'd love to be involved. We've got a really good corporate team that uh, that get involved, and a really good PR company that assist us as well when we go into it. So. We'd hope that uh, one of the contestants sees fit to uh, to give us a call. Well, um, I'm sure they I'm sure they would. Is is this uh, so? There's multiple apartments in in this property. Obviously, is it uh, four or five? Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think it's actually. Um, well, the plans talk about eight apartments in there. So okay. I don't know exactly how they're going to run it as yet, but I I think they like to have at least five contestants right um because of the requirement to get the hours for the for the tv that they need to make the show but that's all their business um might be four might be six don't know so it'll be interesting one to wait and see it will be it will be well i'm sure uh once they once the contestants uh are decided um you'll be uh somebody will be saying get me david wood get him on the phone (laughs) (laughs) here we go again um, buddy, thank thank you so much. I'm uh, I'm a little biased, but I'm calling you Australia's favourite auctioneer because I think you are right at the moment. You're uh, you're terrific uh, in the chair or uh, with the gavel um, when when uh, when a seller needs a great result. Congratulations on your success, and thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, mate. Have a great day. Okay, take care. It's no coincidence. Real estate's top agents use real estate's best software. Locked On is so popular with top producers because it's laden with features, but so easy to use at the same time. Backed by the number one support team in the industry, agents say Locked On is fast, reliable, and like having two assistants. If your real estate software and systems are holding you back, why not experience the ultimate cloud-based solution and take your productivity to the next level? To get your free 30-day trial and for special discount for life deal, go to LockedOn.com forward slash Ray.